Well, good morning. How are you? Uh, it's really a blessing to have Ben come here and worship with us. I feel bad for Ben because Ben said, hey, what are you preaching on? Because I'd like to make the songs be thematic to what the message is. And I said, well, we've been going through the book of Matthew. We're on chapter 14. And the message is all about beheading John the Baptist. It's a great passage. So if you could open up to it, we're in Matthew 14, and the topic's about beheading. So it's perfect. But this is really what we're going to discuss today. It is about beheading, but it's going to be a little bit deeper. And um, I'm talking to a segment of people. How do I put this? They come in. Maybe they come in every Sunday, or they come in once a month, and they think they're in, but they're not. Or you could say it like this. Here's the question we're going to look at. Is it possible to be falsely confident in your salvation? Psalm uh, 36.2 has this very strange statement. It says that the wicked people often flatter themselves about their own righteousness. That they're blind to their own sin. And so what we're going to learn today through the story of Herod Antipas, the son of Herod the Great, is that there's a, there can be some people that think they are in, but they might not be. Or the title of this message is, So Close, Oh, So Close, and Yet So Far. And so that's what we're going to read in Matthew 14, starting in verse 1. So if you can follow along with me. At that time, so Jesus um, is ministering the area of Galilee region. So he was in Nazareth, goes back to Capernaum by the Sea of Galilee and back and forth. And that's the time uh, Matthew's talking about. So at that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard about the fame of Jesus. And he said to his servants, this is John the Baptist. He's been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. For Herod had seized John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Because John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. And though he wanted to put him to death, he feared the people because they held John to be a prophet. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company and pleased Herod, so that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. Prompted by her mother, she said, Give me the head of John the Baptist here on a platter. And the king was sorry. But because of his oaths and his guests, he commanded it to be given. He sent and had John beheaded in prison, and his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. And his disciples came and took the body and buried it, and they went and they told Jesus. So it's a story of a beheading, but really the story is about a guy by the name of Herod Antipas. It's the Herod Antipas story. So if you remember, when Jesus was born, the Christmas story says that at the day he was born, there was a bright light, and Herod heard about it. So he had the wise men come, 
And then he had the wise men go check out the baby where he's to be born, and his name was Herod. Herod is really the title of king. He was Herod the Great of that story. Herod Antipas is one of his sons. Herod, at the time of his death, split his kingdom in four. Three of his sons and one of his daughters got part of the kingdom. Herod Antipas, or it says in here in ESV, Herod the Tetrarch got a portion. He got the area of Galilee, which is all around the Sea of Galilee, and he got the eastern part of the Jordan River down by the Dead Sea, which we call modern-day Jordan. So this story is about Herod Antipas and his relationship with John the Baptist, the guy that was sent to be the voice of one crying in the wilderness, preparing the way for Jesus. So really, I would say, if you want to relate this to us, Herod Antipas is just like the successful, rich, American person. The person who is free to live as he wishes. And laugh at the traditional morals and love whoever he wants. And so let's talk about Herod for a second. First of all, he was the son of a king, so he's very proud. The Herodian dynasty, which he comes from, was rich, powerful, and wicked. Actually, Herod the Great had two other sons other than Herod Antipas and Philip. And those two sons wanted his throne, so he just had them slaughtered. So you could say these, these people of Herod, these children of Herod were wicked and very proud. They were best friends with Caesar. Herod Antipas knew Tiberius very well. So he's a very proud man, like a lot of rich Americans are. He's powerful. He ruled a lot of land, and around the Sea of Galilee, he taxed a lot of the fishermen, took a lot of their money, and the Jews were basically underneath his thumb. And he enjoyed his power. So not only was he proud, but he's privileged, powerful. But what we also see from the story is he's very paranoid. In verse 2, he says to his servants, because Jesus was going around healing, and in his mind, he thought this was John the Baptist risen from the dead. It's kind of like an Elvis sighting, you know? Like, oh, John is still alive, but he's terrified because he had John murdered. So he's wondering. He's terrified. This cannot be a good thing. In fact, like most Americans, in Herod's mind, he's accountable to no one. He's his own man, but he can't rest at night. He's not sure he's on good terms with God. And I think a lot of Americans are that way. People who just do as they wish. They go out for a night of heavy partying or... They spend money like crazy. They sleep with whoever they want. But when they go to bed at night, deep down in their hearts, they're paranoid. They're guilty. They aren't sure God is for them. I bet you there's some people like that in here. I was like that. For a good many years, 23 years of my life, I thought I was in. But I knew I was not. I mean, when I would really try to silence the world for a while and examine my own heart, I wasn't sure. And I think there's some people like that in here. This is the Herod Antipas story. He met John three times. The first time he met John, he was baptizing. Do you remember the story? John was in the Jordan River baptizing people for repentance. 
Meaning he's telling them to turn from your sin and turn to God. Stop it. Stop sinning because the Holy One is coming. And so John in camel's hair and wild hair would preach. He would eat only locusts and wild honeys out in the middle of the desert. And one day John came to visit him. And when he met John, according to Matthew verse 3 and 4, he said to Herod, Did you know, Herod, it is against God's law for you to marry your brother's wife? So Herod, they liked to say they were Jewish. They really weren't Jewish, but they liked to say they were Jewish. And Herod had a brother named Philip, and Philip was married to Herodias, but Herod, Antipas, started having an affair with his brother's wife. And eventually she left her brother and married him. Sounds like an American to me. I mean, marry who you want. So what he did is he decided to uh, just go check out this John guy one day because all of the people were going to listen to him. He was fascinating. And when he saw Herod, he said, it is wrong for you in the eyes of the living God, to be with your brother's wife. So he was calling Herod to a higher law, not the law of common morality, but there is a God who does have a moral code. And did you know in our own day and age, people don't like it? They don't like it. So here's John speaking, not to please the crowd, but speaking on behalf of God. And his word was powerful. If you go to Mark chapter 6, I'd like to read from the NLT Mark chapter 6, because Mark gives another account of it. In Matthew, it says that Herod wanted to kill him, but so did Herodias, the lady he was sleeping with. She hated John. So here's how Mark talks about it, starting in verse 16 of Mark 6. Sixteen says, when Herod heard about Jesus, he said, John, the man I beheaded, has come back from the dead. Oh, no. That's how you can read it. Oh, no. Verse 17, for Herod had sent soldiers to arrest and imprison John as a favor to Herodias. Who's Herodias? His brother Philip's wife, who he's now married to. And she wanted him to be silenced. Put him in prison, then he can shut up. She had been his brother Philip's wife, but Herod had married her. Verse 18. John had been telling Herod, it is against God's law for you to marry your brother's wife. So Herodias bore a grudge against John. She did not like that preacher. Tired of those preachers preaching morality. So she bore a grudge. And she wanted him killed. But without Herod's approval, she was powerless. For Herod respected John. So here comes John. In the, in the book of John, John chapter 1, it says there was a man who was sent from God. His name was John, John the Baptist. He was not the light, but he was sent to bear witness to the light. Meaning John came for one purpose, to prepare people for a holy God. And that takes confrontation and conviction. Is John a jerk for preaching? confrontation and conviction or was John a good man so I would say it like this the first lesson we're going to get from this 
relationship between Herod and John is that confrontation and conviction is a sign of God's grace and man's kindness. Let me show you what I mean. Take your Bibles and I want you to look at two verses. And these are very, these are verses that aren't read too often. The first one is in Psalm 141, verse 5. Psalm 141, verse 5. So the writer, who is David, and he says this in verse 5, Let a righteous man strike me. What's that even mean? Let somebody who's good, let him confront me and tell me the truth. Let him strike me. Let him hurt me with his words. It is a kindness. Let him rebuke me, because it is an oil for my head. Let my head not refuse it. Yet my prayer is continually against their evil deeds. So he's saying, basically, I need a friend who has the guts to tell me when I'm doing things wrong. I need a righteous, good, godly friend that doesn't mind rebuking me every once in a while. That's a good thing. And then look at the book of Proverbs, chapter 27. This adds a little bit of more Info to that idea. Proverbs 27, verse 6. Here's what it says. It says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Do you have a friend who will tell you the truth? Do you have a parent that will tell you the truth? Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. So what this is saying, it's saying two things where you could ask this question. Is, a, is the person who encourages another person in sin or celebrates sin with somebody else, so let's say somebody goes to a party with you, and, they, and the next day you're hungover, but, the, you, but man, were we wasted. <laughs> when your friend laughs with you like that, is that a friend or is that an enemy? So when I decide to, let's say, behave in some deviant ways, sexually maybe, and I get somebody to defend my decisions, is that a friend or an enemy? Is a person who encouraged me and send a friend or an enemy? Proverbs 26, 7 says, they're an enemy. Why? I, look at it like this. Preaching repentance and telling the truth is kind because we have to go before a holy God. Look at it even, look at it at its basic level. So when a friend is honest with me and tells me the truth about things I should not be doing, it saves me from danger. So let's say I'm lazy and I have a mom or dad who says, will you get off the couch and get off that social media? Get off the couch! There is an axiom that says an object in motion stays in motion, an object in rest stays at rest. I can sit on a couch. I bet you I can beat most of you. I could sit on a couch if I'm fed three straight weeks watching Netflix. <laughs> I really could. I'd delight in it. I'd enjoy it. I can remember as a kid, I hated Saturdays because I just wanted to watch cartoons. So I'd get up, I'd watch cartoons. I'd get... I'd probably wake up as a kid. My dad wouldn't let me sleep in because he'd sing at 6 in the morning. He'd sing Italian songs and wake me up. Drove me crazy. So I'd get up about 6.30 and I'd turn on Looney Tunes. And I could watch Looney Tunes till 2 in the afternoon. 
And my mom would go, will you get up and take your, go clean your room. It'd be like nine o'clock in the morning. Mom, it's too early to work. She'd say, get up. I did not like that. But I'm glad she had the, just the ability to tell me I love you, so I want you to get your butt in gear. I had a dad that said, get a job. Because sloth can ruin your life. Can ruin you. Let's take it a step further. How about gluttony? We don't like to tell people they eat too much. We're not allowed to tell people they're overweight. Overweight now has become the new kind of curve I'm curving. But if you're a pastor, when you become a pastor, you go to the hospital to visit people often. More times than not, if somebody is obesely overweight, it's killing them. It's killing them. It's killing them. And so there's a reason why God says don't be gluttonous. It's not only selfish, but it's not good for you. It's just not. How about telling somebody to stop drinking? Is that good or bad? Again, be a pastor and you have a guy coming into your office who's a drunk and he hits his wife often. Is that a good thing? Because he can't stop drinking? He's angry all the time? Is that a good thing? Or how about somebody on drugs? Why do we tell people not to take drugs? Have you ever seen somebody addicted to OxyContin? He can't get off it. He'll sell everything he has to have another little pill. So the reason a righteous person will say drinking and drugs are bad is because you want to stop somebody from developing habits that will destroy their life. How about adultery or pornography? Why do we say that is wrong? Have you ever seen the kids of a dad or a mom who are divorced because of adultery or pornography? It's devastating. It's devastating. We don't say it just because we're mean. We say it because it's kindness. Kindness. I'm not against some sexual behaviors because I'm phobic or the yuck factor. I'm against them because it's not the best thing for you. I've been thinking a lot about just how uh, our society says you can do whatever you want, lifestyle, and you can do whatever you want with your body. You can make it whatever you want it to be. And if we say anything about it, it's hate speech or it's evil. Why do we think love is ignoring behavior that is destroying the image of God in a person? I went to, uh, somebody this week was asking me, what, what is the coolest city I've ever visited? I visited Prague one time. In Prague, in the middle of Prague, this is in the Czech Republic, they have a cathedral that took 800 years to build. 800 years to build a cathedral. I got to go inside that cathedral. And the marble is polished, the walls are ivory, the columns are spotless, they have beautiful stained glass, and you go in there and you just, a building that takes 800 years is incredible, it's gorgeous. Could you imagine if it was spray-painted graffiti all over those walls with the F word and other phallic symbols and stuff, and you walk in and go, oh, you desecrated something gorgeous. What do you think the human body is? It's the temple of God. And now we just think, experiment, do whatever you want with it. It's your choice. What? We are made beautiful. And we just think, on a whim, I'm just going to do whatever I want to it. And I'm going to be whatever I want to be just because I want to. Do you, can I just ask you a quick question? Do you know what Satan hates? Here's what Satan hates. 
the image of God in a person. Do you think, do you think he loves it when we mar and distort and desecrate the image of God in our life? He's laughing it up. He thinks it's hilarious when we look like fools. He thinks it's hilarious when adults think they're dogs and cats and wolves. And we're supposed to be okay with furries. Let anybody do what you want. It's embarrassing. We don't get mad at it. We should feel pity. Confrontation, I think, is the kindness of God. So he met John again. And so what it says in both Matthew and the Mark passage The Mark 6 passage gives us a little more insight. He met John in prison. Listen to what it says in Mark 6. It says in verse 19, So Herodias bore a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. But without Herod's approval, she was powerless. And here's the reason why. Verse 20 of Mark 6 says, For Herod respected John, and knowing that he was a good and holy man, he protected him. Herod was greatly disturbed whenever he talked with John, but even so, he liked to listen to him. So what happened is Herod would probably, so John was arrested, and they say um, Herod had a palace on the eastern side of the Jordan. You can, if you look historically, it's on top of this hill. It's a beautiful palace. But in the very bottom of the palace was this old prison. You can imagine probably had rock walls that would drip humidity there, and there's John just shivering down there. But every once in a while, Herod would sneak past his wife, Herodias, and go down and talk to John. And he talked to John for two reasons. Because he knew John was a righteous man. He knew what John was saying was true. That he knew in the back of his mind that John was the voice of God. And then it said he liked to listen to him. Like, I, I really like to hear what John has to say. So he feared John, and he wanted to hear him. It's interesting how when you speak the truth, even if people don't like you, if you tell the truth, people will still want to hear you. One time I was at a graduation party. It was really odd going to visit a guy who graduated and had a graduation party, and a guy that used to go to our church was living in a homosexual lifestyle. I really like this guy. And he came up to me, and it was at a graduation party, and he pulled me aside, and he looked at me, sitting at a table, and he goes, can I ask you a question? I said, yeah, do you really think homosexuality is sin? Do you really? Why would he do that? It's in the middle of a graduation party. Because he, I think he knew I told the truth. I said, yeah, I do. I do. He didn't like it. But he wanted to hear. He was open to it. And I think what happens, what's happening in our culture is we are being silenced from telling the truth, but people are dying for somebody, just somebody, tell me the truth. Because what happens when you tell the truth will be like God speaking. And here's the second lesson from the story. If today you hear his voice, meaning you hear somebody who is righteous telling you something that is breaking your heart, where you know you have to change, when you know you're wrong, if today 
you hear his voice, harden not your heart. What we're going to find here is Herod, he probably would go and listen to John. It's kind of like listening to a podcast. Oh, I like that. I go listen to John forever. But he didn't do anything about it. Listen to what 2 Corinthians 6.2 says. Look at 2 Corinthians 6.2. And I hope you don't mind me asking you to open up the Bible. 2 Corinthians 6.2. I know it's hard some, for some people to turn pages, so I'm very, uh, sometimes I'm very cynical. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Chris, you need to be kinder. But 2 Corinthians 6.2, listen to what it says. So it says, for God said, for God said, in a favorable time, in a favorable time, like there's a moment that was God's favor or his grace was awakened in a favorable time, I listened to you. And in a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So the word now means in this moment, if you understand what is being said, and if you are convicted about what is being said, that's God's visitation to you. It's a favorable time. Respond. Get saved. Change. So I'd say lesson number two is when you are in sin, there are going to be times when God speaks clear as a bell to you. What you do at that moment could determine the rest of your life. I'll say that again. There are times in your life when you're caught in sin, somebody will tell you the truth and you hear it clear as a bell and what you do at that moment could determine the rest of your life, which takes us to the third meeting. The third meeting is the saddest part of all. It's when, because Herod didn't do anything, his sin led him to do something that I guarantee you he's suffering for forever. So here's what happened. If we go back to Matthew 14, starting in verse 5. So verse 5 writes this. And though he wanted to put him to death, so Matthew wanted to put him to death. From, from Matthew's story, her, or Mark's story, Herodias wanted to kill him. From Matthew's story, so did, so did Herod. Matthew's story, the reason he didn't put him to death is because he feared the people. The people knew John the Baptist was a prophet. And he didn't want the people in his district to be mad at him, so he didn't kill him right away. So he didn't do anything. He just would go and listen. He'd probably say, I like what John has to say, but I don't have to change. I kind of like where my life is right now. And then something happened, starting in verse 6. But when Herod's birthday came, he had a birthday party, and now let me just tell you, the kind of birthday party they had back in the day is not like a Chuck E. Cheese birthday party where you'd go and play basketball hoop. This is kind of like, um, have you ever guys ever heard of Burning Man? Or this would probably be like the parties that they have before the Grammys and the Emmys and the Oscars or afterwards. This is a wine-flowing, girl-dancing-naked kind of party. Orgy kind of party. This is bad. This is what's happening. And when Herod's birthday came, and he's got all his buddies around him, it says in Mark, all of these top officials, and Herod's a top dog, so you tell me a little bit of ego's not involved. It's his birthday party, and he's drinking it up. Watch what happens. 
The daughter Herodias, so the daughter of the lady he's now married to, danced before the company and pleased Herod. Some scholars think this is the dance, it's the Arabian dance, the seven veils, but it's very, what I would say, probably a very sexual dance. Probably something you'd find on MTV. That kind of a thing. And so um, she danced and danced, and he was a man that was probably driven by intoxication and lust and arrogance and pride. And so he promised an oath in his benevolence, I'll give you whatever you want. What do you want? Because she pleased him so much. And then prompted by her mother, she said, well, you know what I'd like? Tell me, name it. Whatever you want. I would like the head of John the Baptist on a platter. I'll bet you he sobered up immediately. I bet you he realized, oh, what do I do? I've got to save my pride, but I'm killing God's man. So in his pride... King was sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he commanded it to be given. He sent and had John beheaded in the prison. And his head was brought on a platter. Given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother, her wicked mother. I was going to say, you know, one of the lessons in here is sometimes women are evil too, but just to kind of put that on the side. Our culture doesn't think they are either. They are too, because depravity is in all of us. But... I don't want to get in trouble. I'm a man. I know I'm not allowed to speak to those things. But um, he had blood on his hands. He had blood on his hands. So what's the lesson? And I want you to listen really close. This is one of the very first, first verses ever given in the Bible with Cain and Abel. And listen to what it says. Lesson three is this. Sin is crouching. Crouching at the door. Sneaky. It's ready to pounce eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. In other words, the idea is if you aren't careful, <laughs> sin wants to snare you for Satan, you, snare you to do his bidding. I was thinking about it earlier. If you don't have Jesus, think of it like this. If you don't have Jesus, sin has you. So you can say, you know what, today I hear his voice, but I'll put it off. I'll put it off. If you don't let Jesus come in and control you, still sin still has you. And often it will lead you into things you don't want to do. I once heard a guy give one of the most chilling illustrations. He said, you know what sin is like? Sin uses, uh, Satan uses sin like, he uses it like a bait. And he'll, let's say, he puts it on the end of a hook and he lets you bite into it. And a good fisherman knows when you get that hook in there, you let that hook stay so it lodges. So you take that sin and he doesn't let it, the consequences get you right away. He, lets, he leads the chain out. He lets it go out a little further and a little further and a little further. Then what he does is he pulls that sin when it's going to cause you and your family the most damage. exactly what happened to Herod. Exactly what happened to Herod. And it's terrifying. You could say it like this. When you give in to sin, 
when you're like, all right, I'm just going to do it. Why not? I'm my own man. I'm powerful. I'm rich. I don't need to listen to those stinking moral traditions. When you give in to sin, God gives you over to slavery, bondage, addiction, destruction. Sad. It's sad. So Herod went all the way from being confronted by a man who wants him to turn to really delighting in what is being said to ignoring it and being caught in it. We're destroyed. I mean, he killed. He had John the Baptist killed. I, that's got to be reverberating in the halls of heaven right now because John the Baptist, as Jesus said, was one of the most righteous men who ever lived. I was reading something uh, about this Psalm 36 too, which it says the wicked man flatters himself that he's getting away with it. And Jonathan Edwards wrote a paper on this. He was one of the early theologians in America. And I was thinking through it. And he asked this question in this paper. He said, what is it? What is it in your own mind which makes you think it is safe for you to delay in turning to God? And I was reading this paper and I was imagining, imagine somebody's able to be a reporter and is able to go to hell where people are in condemnation. Because hell's real. That's what I appreciated about Will when he preached about hell. He just said, he wasn't glorying it, but he goes, one thing I know about it, hell's real. In and of that statement is terrifying. But imagine you could be a reporter and you go to hell. And you interview people in hell and you ask them, what were you thinking? And Jonathan Edwards says, I think there's going to be four prominent thoughts. I mean, you have the basic one. There's people who are atheists. They believe there's no such thing as God. Where it says in Psalms, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. The fool is if they know there's no God, but they're just acting like there's no God. It's funny, if you talk to a real atheist, I've talked to a number of them, they're always mad at God. Like they're just mad at him and they're mad at Christians. And they're mad. Like, why are you so mad? Like, for instance, I have never in my life got mad at Mickey Mouse. You know, I know Mickey Mouse doesn't exist, but I never got mad at him. If they don't believe God exists, why are they so mad at him? Why do they stuff like, say, why does he allow evil? Do you believe in him? Well, no. Then what are you mad at? Have you ever got mad at, like, a superhero, like Superman or the Green Goblin? Because he's the enemy. So when you watch Green Goblin, the enemy is Spider-Man. After the show's over, you go, I hate Green Goblin. Why does he do that? No, you, it's a joke. If God's a joke, why do people get so mad at him? Because they know he exists. There's a second kind of people. They're the people that say, death is a long way off. I'll be converted in time. Let me sow my wild oats today. I got plenty of time. You know, most people die about 71. That's the average age in America. I'm 25. That gives me a good 40 years, 50 years. Really? You sure? I'm not kidding you. This is going to sound... I'm... Like, when I get... I'm going to turn old this year. I've already been old. I feel like I'm 15 years old still. I don't understand it. Like, there's some things that I felt like I just didn't... Like, I'll look at, I'll look at pictures 
And I'll say, I just did that. And I'll look at him. That's 20 years ago. What's happened? Time moves fast. So third, um, what I'd say, third argument. There's people I think are saying, well, I'm moral. I'm really not that bad. Like, uh, you know, Herod, Herod liked John. Man, if he liked listening to John, that means a good guy. I listen to good podcast, spiritual podcast. I've read Christian books, man. Yeah, but if it hasn't changed your life, it means nothing. But I've been in churches, a lot of churches. I've gone to church for years. Yeah, but does it change you? That's the question. Do you give allegiance to Jesus because of your church going? Or is it something you just do? And then the fourth group of people is some think they are really converted. Because they went forward, or they said a prayer, they think they're converted. But they really haven't let the Spirit of God change them. And I would ask them, do you give in to sin easy? If you give in to sin easy, I'd be very careful. If sin is like second nature to you, and it doesn't convict you, but yet you still think you're a Christian, ah, I'm not sure. As the old saying goes, I've said it a number of times, just because you're in a garage doesn't make you a car. Just because you're in a church don't make you no Christian neither. Why did the old southern guys say that stuff? I don't know. So, I would say this. If today, if today, you hear his voice, what I mean by that is if you're saying, oh boy, like you're almost sweating, going, I need to do something. Harden not your heart. 